Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So was there anything particularly in the Journal of Discourses that stood out to you? Yeah. Nothing anti Marlon. It was just something that was significant to me. I'd been which based um, during the time I was married and, and my husband was in the Air Force, we'd gone to different bases and I'd always take classes with the University of Maryland. And one of them was about, I, I just a lot of psychology, and one of them was studied film. And about his um, common, the, the theory of common consciousness. Anyway, I was reading the eleventh book in the Doctrine of Discourses when Wilfred Rufus gave a talk, which was very similar that that we have a common consciousness, and that kind of hit me, you know, really strongly because I'd always thought that. We relate to people because we have something in our consciousness that relates to other people. Anyway, that, that has nothing to do with why I left the church, but I just thought that was an important thing for me in later years, you know, after that, because it gave me the idea that we were all linked together in some way. Um, and I think that must have given me strength through the years thinking of that and my, bro- my brother said to me I gave him the books when my parents died and um, he said num- um, the 11th book because there's like 27 books I can't find the 11th book and I felt guilty because the only thing that I got out of those except for thinking there's a lot of mad men giving talks <laughs> nobody speaks yeah. about Yeah. 
Well, it it seems it seems like a, a common trajectory um, coming out yeah. of Mormons. I think a lot of people get upset when we don't just become Christians or go to another Christian church. And I'm like, look, I've had that much crazy in the last 30 years that I don't yeah. even need like little crazy or like little supernatural. I just need none. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I can't. My brother, who is in the Preston Daily Preston Temple Presidency, and he said to me one day, I think he brought some money over for my birthday. In the, cur <laughs> the current presidency? Yes, yes, Frank Boyle. Okay. No, my dad will probably um, know him. Pardon? My dad will probably know him. He was the previous temple president. Oh. Yeah, everybody in the church seems to know my brother. <laughs> and his wife. I have a younger brother, 10 years there, active in the Middleton Ward. But I think, um, anyway, <clears throat> Frank said to me, I said, oh, I enjoy him within the temple. He said, yeah, it's the happiest I've been in my life. No, I had to stop saying what I wanted to say because he's got like seven children and 24 or 25 grandchildren and he's telling me the happiest he's been is in the temple you know and that kind of and I just had I thought shut up Valerie don't say a word but I just said right then and he said must have been nice to see you there one day <laughs> I just laughed and I said right then Frank <laughs> You will have gone through the temple pre-1990. Was that before your mission? Yeah, once before that mission, yeah. And not that many times when I were married because we didn't live close to a temple. And, I, you know, I have allergies. And when you go into the temple, the air is kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's very stale. Yeah, and I'd fall asleep. I think... You know, and, so what's the point in going if you fall asleep? I think um, that's like a thing, like they can get people to keep doing it over and over again if that's the only time they get a really good daytime nap. Yeah. Put something in the air. So how did you feel, I guess, about the death oaths and, and different things at the time? Well, nothing's explained, especially then, even less was explained. I didn't go to any temple prep classes. It was just, it was just like, oh, you've got your temple recommend. There's a bus going on Friday, so you can go then. Yeah. <coughs> because my mother didn't go because she was married to a non-member, you know. Yeah. Even as the state religion society president, she wasn't. Didn't go to the temple. The wow. only time she went to the temple was she had to get special permission when she stopped working in being a weaver and she'd gone and worked for the making the garments in Manchester. Yeah. And she had to get special permission to um work there, you see. To make garments. <coughs> and then the day office manager. So did, just ask me. did she ask you when you came out like what happened or 
No, you see, my mother was would never have dreamed of asking me. Super devout. She didn't even ask me, did you like it? You know, because when I was there, I was like, what? What? <laughs> what? And they asked me, they told me so little that, that when it was time for this prayer circle, they asked me to go up. And I and I thought, I said, well, all these are married. Oh, we'll find you a single guy to stand next year. So they did. And I'm like really freaking out, like, because <coughs> in my brain, not knowing what to expect, I thought, am I supposed to marry this man? <laughs> because I stood in the prayer circle with him. Oh my gosh. He was, yeah, he wasn't attractive. Maybe that used to be the trap for the brethren, uh, you know, call, that's where the prayer circle came from. Just call the sisters up and any sister that stands next to you has to marry you. I don't know. I don't know. But he wasn't, I, I've always been a bit superficial. My ex-husband was very good looking. <laughs> and and because I used to think, if you're going to wake up next, yes. next morning, it better be somebody that looks good. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't marry someone who you're not attracted to just because they've got a great testimony. When when you roll over in the morning, you look at them and and say, "Darling, please bear your testimony to me. <laughs> Make you feel yeah, better about it." I said to a lady afterwards, "Am I supposed to marry him?" And she laughed. No. Why did you think that? Because all those were married, and I just didn't know. Oh my gosh! Could you imagine? Yeah, I just thought it was really, really weird. But I didn't question anything because I didn't think about it. You know, I just put it to the back of my mind because I just didn't think about it. And also because <coughs> we didn't go to the temple a lot because, um, well, um, we were in Texas and then they sent us to Italy, then to Germany. And then to Washington DC, then to Oklahoma, then to England, back, and then back to America. Wow, all over the shop. So, yeah. did you like? What's the weirdest thing? Because you you will have an overview of the church, like you say, throughout Europe, continental Europe, and I've been to church in continental Europe, and it's it's different to England and Utah, and then outside of Utah in the states is different so where where's the church weirdest I don't know, germany i think when we were stationed in germany um we lived in a village my son was born matt was born in germany and we had to drive 27 miles to the army base where um where they had the church now you have to rem this is what i thought was weird and it just no. Uh, anyway, military personnel enlisted and commissioned are not allowed to fraternize. And and even though my and my husband got lots of education when he was in the military, but he was he wasn't uh, he was um, he wasn't a commissioned officer. He was a non-commissioned officer, so you couldn't mix with them, which means. <coughs> if you're in a military ward, the bishop is never enlisted. The bishop is always a military officer, right? Or if it's in a town, then it will be a civilian one. Yeah. And I just thought that was awful, you know. 
and also the head of the auxiliaries, the females, they were married to an officer. So I thought, I just thought I was awful, you know, that um, you had to have that, else you couldn't have your ward, military yeah. ward or your civilian ward, uh, because the military, the, the commission, the non-commissioned officers were always like a step below, so they couldn't, they could, they could be um, a counsellor in the bishopric, <coughs> and like I was a counsellor in Relief Society, but the Relief Society president was an officer, major's wife, you know, I just thought that just a lot of discrepancy that that really troubled me, you know. I remember going in for an interview with one bishop, and he was a major, a pilot, and he was our bishop. And he said, well, I'm sorry, I'm a bit distracted because I've been studying. I said, because I'd taken lots and lots of courses and, and, and joined my ex-husband, because he's quite clever. And um, he said, I said, what are you studying? He says, oh, your husband will be most familiar with this because one day he'll have to study. I said, well, what are you studying? He says, well, I'm studying to take the exam so I can enroll in a master's degree program. <laughs> I said, oh, my husband's already got two master's degrees. <laughs> he was being so condescending, you know. <coughs> so I, I'm, I just had to say that and bring him down a peg. Oh, we've, we've all got a master's degree, Valerie. We just keep it in our back pocket. I know. <laughs> it was just, uh, but my husband, he never did get a commission. Um, he, he's not the most agreeable of person. Not a yes um, man. Um, not a yes man. No, he's not a yes man. And he also knows a lot. Like, like when he's taught lessons, he just lets people know he knows a lot. Anyway, maybe he's changed now, he's married again. I think what I find particularly odd is people talking to you, asking you questions and not listening to answers. Yeah. You know, it seems predominant in the church, maybe in America more, because I lived there, you know, on and off for 28 years. Because after my ex-husband retired, we had 10, 12 years, you know, permanent all the time without moving. Well, didn't move, but I mean, living in America. And like, Americans might ask a question, especially in the church, but they don't really listen to answers, you know? Because they didn't. Well, I find, what I find strange is the hierarchy. Hierarchy? Yeah. Like, if you have money, you're at another level, so you get different callings. If you're a military officer, you get, or you're families you get different callings if um if you go on a mission you you you're more to be well thought of if your wife if your wife goes on a mission it's always assumed that you that that you met them on a mission and that you did something on a mission yeah. so they say they say how long were you on your mission when I said, oh, I went on a mission to Italy, they just give me a funny look. They said, how long were you on a mission? I said, two years. Oh, you didn't come home early. You know, they, 
they had no they asked Julia questions then that say, um, oh, I thought you met your husband when he was stationed in England. And I said, no, I said to one lady, a black lady that, that was a Christian, I'd say, and I was telling her this, how strange it is, you know, because we got on really well with talk, we were talking about our different churches. And I said, the thing is, people think when me coming from overseas, marrying American, they think, oh, you met them at church or you met them in a bar. <laughs> she said to me, well, you might wear, meet them in church, but then you go to the bar afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. You know, it, but, and I think a, a lot of the, um, what I found strange is you, they assumed, if they don't know you've gone, went on a mission, they, they assumed that you met this person, they got you to join the church, and you did it because you wanted a visa to come to America. Yeah. I yeah. Did, and that's strange because I found, I, I might have had hundreds of questions regarding that, you know, like, well, how quickly did you get your visa? And I, and I said, two weeks after my husband joined the military, you know, oh, that, that came and took me to the base and they gave me a green card, two weeks. Yeah, that probably had a little bit to do with it. If he was serving, then they couldn't have it hanging on, um, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. They wanted to send you off wherever they could and uh, and get get the money's worth out of him. Yeah. So but, you. But then you can't get a green card quite as quickly these days. No, not you? at all. No. If you if you'd have rocked up to the airport today with a wedding dress in your luggage, and they'd have seen your little tiara on uh on the x-ray i swear to god you'd be put in a side room immediately and they'd just stick you on the next boat back like well the thing when i went to liverpool to get my visa one of the questions they asked me was have you ever taken drugs and i said <coughs> as i'm honest especially after you come off a mission you're uber honest oh yeah you know and I said, well, actually, I did smoke marijuana once. <laughs> once. I said that, and immediately I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> what did they, they say? And I said, but you have to remember, it was many years ago, and I'd just finished a Mormon mission, and we don't take drugs or even drink coffee or alcohol. You wanted to so say... Said, Pardon? You want to say, I'll pee in a cup, I'll pee in a cup. Yeah. And I said, um, they said, well, we will issue you a one, a one entrance visit. So you can't go out of the country and come back. You just have to stay there. So if you don't get married, you're going to end up coming home in, coming home in six months. So, yeah. Okay. So 28 years married and then Journal of Discourses kind of at the same time as your marriage ending um took you out of the church so what what was life for valerie back in england um following all of that where where did you go from there well, after i left him and we got a, the divorce came through when we were in salt lake um i was in salt lake and it written into the divorce was that i was not allowed to use his last name so i 
went from being Valerie Chapera to being Valerie Hoyle again. So um, when we got here, that was a nightmare because I didn't have any money and um, I was sleeping on my dad's floor and my mother was in a home with Alzheimer's <coughs> and it didn't seem to be convenient for my dad. So I went to the council seeing if I could get a house because I brought my first daughter and her two children with us. So okay. there was a lot of us, right? We had no money. Um, so the council said, uh, no, you don't have a permanent residency or something, the right to have it or something, because I, my English passport had run out and I only had an American passport, right? So um, anyway, so I couldn't get um, housing from the council. Mm. Um, and so I'd heard of housing associations, right? <laughs> so I went into Guinness Trust and said, um, it's, taken them, it's taken them a while to, to go through my paperwork because I've been away for a while um, so that they can okay my housing benefits. So it was just, this is 20 years ago, so it's a bit different. So I kind of talked myself into a house, you know? I'm a pretty good talker. Awesome. I know. <laughs> I into, into a house before, and I didn't have any housing benefits, so I, had, mm -hmm. I got a house, no furniture, and no money to pay the rent. So my brother and my two brothers and their wives, they ended up calling people and bringing us some furniture, right? But we still were sleeping on the floor and sleeping on couches. So after a few months, my dad said to me, and I ended up going to court and getting evicted to get evicted. And I said, well, I'm still waiting for my the benefits to kick in, you know, so it's taking them a while. God. And one of the magistrates yelled at Guinness Trust and said, how dare you uh, put this woman through all this, this, um, what different word he used, all this stress. You know, when she's trying her best and she has all these people to take care of. Yeah, trying to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Yeah, there was the bishop at the ward because I'd go to church occasionally. My sister in law, Kathy, would call me and say, Do you want to ride to church? And I think, Yeah. So the bishop at the time was Mike Flynn. And he'd come to me quietly and said, Do you need anything? So sometimes he'd pass by and he'd come by the house without telling him, give me a hundred pounds, you know. I never had uh, to ask him for anything. But um, anyway, sometimes you do that, like once every three weeks, two or three weeks, you give me a hundred pounds. So that's the, what we lived on. So my family didn't seem to be giving us any money to help us, you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, so um, my dad said, well, what's the problem um, with the, housing and you owe money. I said, because of my British passport. Now, I told him this before, but he says, well, how much do you need? And I said, 60 pounds. So he gave me 60 pounds. I got my British passport, took it to the housing office. So it's, so then they gave me back money and we bought beds. So 
floor, there was like seven or eight of us sleeping on, on these beds. Then we've got the housing and I, I tried to get a job, you know, I couldn't get a job. You have to remember I was only 52 at the time and I couldn't get a job. And I, my job in Salt Lake, I'd worked for ZCMI in the showroom, you know, the, mm -hmm. yeah. the shopping centre. And then I'd worked at um, University of Utah in distance education, you know, where they study at home. Mm -hmm. or if they're an athlete, they study away and they send me all the, I worked there. So um, in distance education. So um, I had some experience, you know, I couldn't get a job. I even went to um, University of Manchester, one of them, to get a job to do similar work but and then i went to but i didn't get the job and i went to the office and they said uh, the employment office says it's your age yeah so what i thought it was illegal for them to do that it says yes it's illegal but they do it and that's why you haven't got a job so that's why i got benefits they ended up giving me benefits because of that you know yeah which was annoying because my intentions of coming back none of our intentions of coming back was to live off the state it was to be self-sufficient we always be self-sufficient you know but i also brought with me my second daughter who six months before we left salt lake had been in this dreadful accident and died twice so she got robbed and things in her body wow. and uh yeah, she still, she's lived a few, in a flat a few doors down, and she's still, um, she's gained a lot of weight, but she's still, um, she can't walk very far. Yeah. And she went to court in Salt Lake to sue the people that hit her in the car. And her, you know who her lawyer was? Go on. Oaks. James, James McConkie. Another McConkey. I thought, yeah, you know Curtin McConkey? Yeah. That's Damn. the guy. And we thought getting him, he would be honest, you know. And and we and he, she'd get money from this. She got she got not a penny. Wow. Yeah. She was in the she was in LDS hospital in Salt Lake, but her insurance didn't cover that, so third day they sent us to university of utah, utah university of utah hospital because i worked there and that was my insurance so when it got to half a million dollars per care because that that was my cutoff my insurance they put uh, um on my ex-husband's insurance through the military because she was under 25 Okay. That could cost at five hundred thousand dollars. So now she owes. Now her medical care came to a million dollars. She couldn't get money from suing the people that hit her because they said it was fifty-fifty in, in Utah, fifty-fifty blame in accidents. Mm. You know. Yeah. So, so um, she went on Medicaid and then she came back here. So. Wow. <laughs> See, a lot goes on in life, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you have to not let it drag you down because 
what you're going to do, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, you can't let the bastards grind you down. Yeah, and then she, he, the one that had the accident, became a he, transgender, but not going through the whole thing. And I said to my sister-in-law, um, no, <coughs> Susie is not Susie anymore. She's Aaron. Right. And, and my sister-in-law said, what? And I said, um, yeah, she's transgender. And mm. my sister-in-law says, well, tell her I will pray for her. How rude. Yeah. But she, you know, she looked to me and I don't think she realised what she was saying. No. Because I don't think sometimes they realise what they're saying. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I've got a lot of Mormon family who are probably praying for me and they don't realise that I'm I'm saying spells for them as well at night that they'll change their behaviour. Yeah, but if they say things, I just say, well, that's kind of you. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, because you know it's not going to make any difference if you pick a fight. No. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, it was, yeah, you, you took us all over the place from brethren in your home to um, the ins and outs of military life in Germany and the way that the church dealt with that to being trafficked to Seattle, then Salt Lake um, to become a Mormon wife. Uh, and I had no idea genuinely before this interview uh, how colourful your life had actually been uh, but I think we are all better for spending an hour with you this evening well thank you I think it's kind of been therapeutic for me yeah and that's that's what Priest of Dispatches is all about just giving everyone the opportunity to uh, you know just get it out there because sometimes people I think when you're not around church people all the time other people think, well, Mormons, you know, they're lovely people, but they don't realise maybe how varied and colourful a life within Mormonism can actually be. And I think when you start telling them, they're not very bothered. Yeah. Um, but being able to talk about it with people that understand, that get you, um, yeah. is is therapeutic. Yeah, because you don't often meet people that you can relate to yeah and that are willing especially when you live on a housing estate yeah <laughs> yes yes no absolutely awesome so that was valerie uh, all the way from rochdale to salt lake via italy germany england again seattle and all over the place thank you valerie for sharing your story with us as always, if you enjoyed this story, you can give me a call and we'll go through yours. Valerie found it quite therapeutic. Everyone has a story and they are all worth sharing. If you feel you can support the podcast, please do so using the link in the description below. But for now, thank you very much and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.